David prepares Solomon for what's to come. David gathers workers from outside the kingdom. He organizes suppliers from other countries and creates a vision for a temple that represents a diverse tapestry of God's creation. A reading from 1 Chronicles chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Then David said, This is where the Lord God's temple will be, along with Israel's altar for entirely burned offerings. David gave orders to gather the immigrants living in the land of Israel, and he appointed masons who would cut stones for building God's temple. David also provided a huge amount of iron for nails, for the doors of the gates, and for the braces, so much bronze that it could not be weighed, and innumerable cedar logs from the Sindodians and the Tyrians who gave them to David. David thought, my son Solomon is too inexperienced to build the Lord's temple. It must be great beyond compare. In order to win fame and glory throughout all lands, so I myself will prepare things for him. So David made extensive preparations before his death. But then David sent for his son Solomon and instructed him to build a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had intended to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God. But the Lord told me, You've shed much blood and waged great wars. You won't build a temple for my name because you've spilled so much blood on the ground before me. A son has just been born to you. He'll be made of peace, and I'll give him peace with all his surrounding enemies. In fact, his name will be Solomon. And I'll give Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He will be the one to build a temple for my name. He'll become my son, and I'll become his father, and I'll establish his royal throne over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you so that you may successfully build the temple of the Lord, your God, as he promised you. May the Lord be sure to give you insight and understanding, so that when he appoints you over Israel, you will observe the instruction from the Lord, your God. Then, if you carefully follow the regulations and case laws that the Lord commanded Moses concerning Israel, you will prosper. Be strong and be brave. Don't be afraid or lose heart. With great effort, I have now provided for the Lord's temple 100,000 kikars of gold, 1 million kikars of silver, and so much bronze and iron that it cannot be weighed, as well as wood and stone, though you may add these. You have also have innumerable people to do the work. You have stone cutters, you have masons and carpenters, and every skill required for any task, whether in gold, silver, bronze or iron. So get to work, and may the Lord be with you. Here ends the third reading. Well, now, good and gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts in this place be found pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, grace to you this morning and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. So for the better part of two months, we've been allowing our brother David, King David, to hold up a mirror for us and to show us something of who we are, show us what a thoroughly human life looks like. 
His life has been both a bright example and a cautionary tale for us. Looking at him, we do see the ugliest truths about us, in part because his story, as it's told in Scripture, refuses to reduce him to a one-dimensional character who is either good or bad. No, David embodies all the same complications that you and I also deal with, and so we see pieces of ourselves in him, including also the best parts of ourselves. We've looked at him these past eight weeks, and we've seen courage and passion and faith. We've seen repentance and forgiveness, loyalty and friendship. David has taught us much in these weeks with him, and we're actually going to return to him once more next week, one final snapshot from David's life as we celebrate Gratitude Sunday together. But today, in fact, we're going to let David teach us something about dying. We might assume that when the time comes for the end, someone who reflects God's heart will, of course, die a noteworthy death. That did not happen for David. It's kind of ironic that when Saul and Jonathan died 40 years earlier, while at war with the Philistines, David eulogized them in this gorgeous lament. He used his words to make death large and to give it dignity and sacred beauty. But when David dies, no one at all memorializes him. He dies in the middle of a family squabble with no hint from scripture that there was a tribute or a eulogy of any kind. It's, it's rather a sad ending, actually. Even so, as he comes to the end, the way in which David prepares for his dying is another lesson for our living. So David is old now. That rugged, beautiful body now has liver spots. It's arthritic and sagging and frail. David is tired and weak, often cold, as happens to the elderly. This is the arc of a human life descending. To be human is to receive astonishing power and life and then to give it back. One way or another, we always give it back. There are different ways of giving it back. There is a passive way in which we simply allow the years and the struggles to take our power and our lives away. And eventually that happens to us all. Ultimately, death will put a hand on our shoulder. But there is another way to hand back our lives. It's, it's the active way of making deliberate surrenders, making conscious choices to give ourselves into the hands of God. This was David's way. At the end of his life, he refuses simply to be snatched away by death. Instead, he chooses to give his powers to God as an offering. Old age is largely for looking back. We think of the autumn of our lives as a time for savoring the memories, and there is nothing wrong with that. Looking at all that's come before us in a spirit of mindfulness and gratitude is a beautiful thing. And David certainly has a great many things to savor. Think of all he's accomplished in his lifetime. Starting out as a shepherd boy, the youngest and least in his family, he rises to become, to become king, and, and not just king, but Israel's greatest king. 
He's brought Israel into the Iron Age and overcome all her enemies. He's established a kingdom stretching all the way from Syria to the Nile. All of that, and he turns out to be a pretty good poet, too. And yet, here at the end, David's not sitting on the front porch sipping sweet tea. At the end of his life, he's he's leaning forward. David's gaze for all his past achievements is fixed on an unfinished dream. See, all his adult life, David has wanted to build the temple of the Lord. And now with time ticking down, it's, it's not finished. In fact, it's not yet started. It's a little like that novel I keep meaning to write. For years, he's planned, designed, daydreamed about this temple. He's bought land. He's gathered all the materials. He's been obsessed with this dream of building this great house of worship. But it's not to be. Not in his lifetime. Not by his hands. His greatest dream is a frustrated dream. See, people after God's own heart have frustrated dreams too. Later in his life, David receives this word from God. You had it in your heart to build a temple for my name, and you did well to have it in your heart. Nevertheless, you were not the one to build the temple. Every faithful life hears that very painful word. Because being faithful means dreaming dreams that outrun our limits and outlast our lifetimes. You had it in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not. Moses heard that word. His dream was to lead the people to a new land. For 40 years he tried. Shepherding them over miles of rock and sand on blistered feet, listening to them whine and complain. And now, at the very border of this green, beautiful home, God says, Moses, here's the land I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I give it now to your descendants, and I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not be going over. And Moses says, Lord, let me go over. But in the end, all he could do was climb up rocky Mount Pisgah and sigh from a distance for a home he had been dreaming about all his life. You had it in your heart, but no. And even Jesus had to stand there weeping for a city he loved but couldn't reach. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he said. How often I've wanted to gather you to myself, but but you wouldn't let me. Even Jesus had to hear, you had it in your heart, but no. In fact, you sort of get the feeling that this may be a hallmark of real faith. When the author of Hebrews writes a summary of all the the Bible heroes and sheroes who lived by faith, it is said, all of these died without having received what was promised. They only welcomed them from a distance. And in our own time, the man who cried, I have a dream, is also the one who said, I may not get there with you. And he didn't. And often we don't. If the dreams we hold are God-sized dreams. So this morning, may I ask you about your dreams What are you dreaming? In America, if you ask people to tell you about their dreams, many will tell you something about what they someday wish to own. 
What do we mean by the American dream? A house, a car, a family, a career? These are not bad things. These are not evil things. And yet, if our dreams pertain mostly to us and ours, God invites us to dream bigger. Do you have some dreams, for instance, for this planet, for our nation, for our city? Do you have some dreams for the church, including dreams for this church? And by the way, the work today of our facilities team has a lot to do with dreaming in league with God. Do you have any dreams for peace? Do you have any dreams for the poor or for the lonely or the addicted or or the afraid? In other words, is there a dream in your life big enough to carry you your whole life and then beyond your life? If so, then you know what? Someday you are going to know what it's like to die in the beauty of an unfinished dream. I use the word beauty in part because this is what we heard David, this is what we heard God say to David. God said, you did it well that it was in your heart. You're not going to get it done. But you know what? You did well to dream it. Now it's true and has to be acknowledged that David's own actions play a part in his being prevented from building the temple. In a conversation with his son Solomon, David says, I wanted to build a sanctuary for the Lord my God, but God prevented me saying, you've killed too many people, David. You fought too many wars, and it's going to be a person of peace who builds my temple. There's a legitimate sermon to be preached about human consequences that follow a life based on this very text. The last four messages in this series have been mostly about the pain that came to David and his family because of his sin. Today, though, I feel pulled in a more pastoral direction to offer a more pastoral word, especially to those of you in this room, young and old, who are feeling a bit defeated with regard to some of your dreams. Will you listen again to the remarkably tender words God said to David and to us? Because it was in your heart to do the thing, David, you did well. David is a man who at the end of his life, with reference to this dream, has nothing to show but intention. And God says, you did well. We humans are always assessing ourselves and assessing each other according to what is measurable. Can we count it? Can we weigh it? Can we graph it? And then we give ourselves the grade. But God always looks at the heart. You read this text and you get the feeling that maybe at the end, our first and highest calling in this life under God is to worthy desire and to pouring pouring ourselves out in, in, in part, even our tiny part, with longing and love toward a worthy dream. Was God calling David to get the temple built? Apparently not. Was God calling David to pour out his life in desire for it? Oh, yes. 
In the purposes of God, it may be that we're not called to see our dreams accomplished so much as we are called to wait for them and work for them and to lay down our lives like seeds for the day when God will grow all worthy dreams toward their completion. I can't help but think these days about our former president and our friend here at First Baptist Church, Jimmy Carter who at the age of 95 is still seen with a hammer in his hand as he builds homes for people who need them. Think of the seeds he has planted throughout his lifetime. Peace between enemies, repentance and repair for racial injustice, especially among his Baptist community, dignity for the poor, global justice. And you know what? Not one of his dreams has been finally realized on this earth. And I was even told this very week by someone in contact with President Carter that he has been one, he's been heard to wonder out loud if his life has made much of a difference down here. But you know what? That question will occur to everyone eventually if she or he has been dreaming God-sized dreams. And so David, at the end, with the future in his eyes and these still unused gifts in his hands, looks to his son Solomon and places his dream in Solomon's hands. And in some ways, all of us in this room are Solomon, inheritors of the sacrifices of people who came before us and placed the thing in our hands. And now it's our turn to add and to build And do you also see that we also now are David, compelled to provide for what we cannot finish, laying down our gifts like seeds, trusting the future, releasing them into the hands of God? And so is there a dream large enough to compel your giving and living towards something longer than your life? A great rabbi once said, the work of perfecting the world is not yours to finish, but neither are you free to take no part in it. And William James said the truest of words. He said, the only truly people I know, the only truly happy people I know, are those who found a cause greater than themselves to live for. And so David died, as all of us will die, with some still unwritten music inside of him with an unbuilt temple still in his heart and an unfinished dream that he had to lay down. Sisters and brothers, God understands the pain of unrealized dreams. God knows how it hurts when you've reached and planned and wanted and ached and prayed and not seen your hopes realized. But please don't lose heart. There's a brief little moment in the book of Acts when, as Paul is talking about the resurrection of Jesus, he also mentions David. Paul says, and this is Acts 13, 36, after David had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors. When it comes your turn to die, wouldn't you love for that to be said of you? He served, she served the purpose of God in their own generation.
In the end, may we come to find that the love we offered and the gifts we gave were such that they will live on well beyond us to the glory of God. And so, good and gracious God, make us wise to walk away from dreams that are too small and to walk away from love that's too small. Your dream for the world still calls to us. So please take more and more of what we have and who we are. And God, build your dream with us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.